I love being able to lead worship each week with you, and this week I'm excited to be able to preach. Angie and I were talking recently about living here in California, and it hit me that this September, just in a couple weeks, we will have lived here for nine years. I told my wife, knowing that she had family, once we got married, I said, hey, I will never, ever, ever live in California, and I meant it. And God had different plans for us. So nine years ago, we packed up of our, all of our belongings and moved out here so I be, could become the, the pastor of worship and media here at Valley Center Community Church. And, and saying we had five kids, and that's, in two months, God willing, everything goes well, we'll have our 10th kid. So I remember when five kids seemed like a lot. And now 10 kids. And uh, we don't know yet if it's a boy or a girl, but knowing that we have seven boys and only two girls so far, I'm pretty sure it's going to be another boy. And, and the other question I get asked is, are you going to have any more kids? I'm just going to answer it by this. We only planned to have four to six to begin with. We're at 10, so we'll see what happens next. When we first moved here, the church was meeting at the Maxine Theater at the high school. And if you were here, you probably remember the baby grand that was over there that I love leading worship behind. It was gorgeous. And I remember one Sunday, sitting behind that baby grand leading worship. And then this pain shot through my head, just across a pain that I'd never experienced before in my life. And I remember as I'm leading worship, turning from the congregation, cringing, just hoping that pain would go away. I had no idea what it was. Come to find out, it was a migraine. It was my very first migraine. And come to find out, it was the beginning of many health issues to come. Those migraines picked up to about three to five a week, putting me down oftentimes, many times in bed. My body began to ache, and even when I wake up in the morning, I remember just the slowness, and, and it just felt like I couldn't get my body to move in such pain. I developed chronic fatigue. I could hardly fall asleep at night. Um, I got digestive issues that have put me on a strict diet even today. I would lie on the couch many times in our family room, and tears would stream down my face because, not only because of the pain, but I'm watching my kids do life, and I can't get off the couch to go interact with them. I felt like I was just trapped in this body, watching old movies that my kids playing, and there's nothing I could do. A couple of years ago, I developed what is known as muscle tension dysphonia, where for unknown reasons, your muscles in your body decide to tighten up. Mine affect me the most on the right side of my throat, which means it makes it difficult or sometimes impossible to sing or talk. If you've been here for any length of time, you know that I took a year off of singing because I couldn't sing because of the muscle tension. It goes down the right side of my body through my right arm, my right leg. When I was in middle school, I was diagnosed with Tourette's syndrome, which is involuntary uh, vocal sounds and muscle movements. But by the time that I graduated high school, those were pretty much dormant. And, and that can be pretty painful. And if you are here last summer, you've probably seen it. And as I talk about it a little bit now, when you talk about Tourette's, they start acting up a little bit. So I may do a few, but it'll calm back down. All of this happening within the first seven years of living here. And Angie, my wife, many times has had to play single mom over and over again as I lie on the couch and able to do things or lay in the bed. She's got to the point that she rarely will invite people over or commit to anything with other people because you never know how I'm going to feel that day. And, and not knowing what is going on, we, uh, 
we prayed, we prayed, we've sought doctors. But one thing I decided at the beginning of all this, I really wanted to suffer well. I wanted to be an encouragement uh, to my wife, to my kids, to my family, to you guys. I, I want God to get the glory through all of it. And so I've asked my kids when they pray for me, I say, hey, don't forget to pray that dad will suffer well. Last, last summer, remember this has been going on for seven years, eight years almost. I remember lying down in pain one day, and as I got up, just hurting, I, I, I cried out to God with such loss and confusion. I said, God, do you hear me? Do you hear my prayers? Are you, are you going to give me any relief from this? Did I do something to anger you? Did I do something to cause this? As soon as I finished asking those questions, I felt immediate guilt. I'm a Texan, a good Southern Christian. You don't question God. You don't grumble. You don't complain to him. But yet, there it was. I had. And I thought to myself, this is certainly not the picture of someone suffering well. In turn to my life, Psalm 13. Psalm 13, let me read it for us. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice, because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, because he has dealt bountifully with me. Psalm 13 is a song of lament, and Pastor Dave has already spoken on uh, a couple of laments in this series, but here's a few things to know and to remember. One thing I want to point out, biblical lament is putting into honest words our griefs and sorrows to God. Biblical lament is, to put, is putting into honest words our griefs and sorrows to God. More than a third of the Psalms are laments. 42 of those are individual laments, 16 are corporate Regardless, the, the psalms of the psalm book of the Israelites, so regardless if it was corporate or individual, they were still sung together. It doesn't take long for the book of Psalms to jump into lament. You've got chapters 1 and 2, which we've discussed in previous sermons, uh, are probably really one chapter. And then the very next chapter, chapter 3, is a lament. The Bible's filled with laments, including one book in the Old Testament solely dedicated to it, the book of Lamentations. But I have an observation that here in America, in our culture, we've lost the art of lamenting. Laments are, are counterculture to us. Very few of us want to see ourselves in need. We don't like to deal with our issues. Instead, we pretend they don't exist, so we look past them. After all, if we don't think about them, if we don't talk about them, they're really not there, right? They're just going to go away. So we use music, and sports, and TV, work, social media, sports, the beach, Disneyland, the mountains, comfort food, 
as a southerner, good old iced tea, maybe iced coffee. For some, though, it's alcohol or other addictions. Whatever we can find to get an escape, to get our minds off what is going on around us. But instead of ignoring it and pretending it doesn't exist, what should we do when trials and suffering come into our lives? As Christians, we lament. We put into honest words our griefs and sorrows to God. And Psalm 13 will help us do just that. But before we continue, let me talk about country music for a moment. Being from Texas, I really like country music. I like the steel guitar. I like the fiddle, the twang. I like the draw. But you know what I really like about country music? A good country song will tell a good story. And I like good stories. So marry that with good music. You've got a wonderful thing. The problem is I have viewed psalms so many times as a country song. I'm trying to read it and figure out the story that's being told. But then you read a couple of verses, and then when you jump to the next couple of verses, it seems like it just came out of left field. Like, where did that come from? It doesn't even line up with the story. Until I started looking at psalms as it was written. Poetry. And poetry is made up of stanzas. Stanza comes from the Latin word, which means rooms in a house. So, you know a house that has a kitchen, dining room, living room, bedrooms, bathrooms. Each of these are part of the same house, but they serve a different function. Well, same thing with poetry. These stanzas are part of the same poem, but each stanza serves a different function. And so today we're going to look at Psalm 13 as rooms, as stanzas, and see what it has, how it helps us to learn to biblical lament. And, and looking at it, we see that it has three stanzas, three rooms. The first room is going to be verses 1 and 2. The second room is verses 3 and 4. And the last room, verse, uh, the, the room 3, is verses 5 and 6. So let's dive into first, the first room. And the first room in lamenting is where we cry out to God. When we lament, we first cry out to God. Let's look at the first couple of verses together. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemies be exalted over me? The first thing I want to point out is that David cries out to God. He says, how long to who? O Lord. There's a relationship. He knows God. He's not just voicing a hopeless complaint. He's crying out to God. What trouble would be in if we did not have a God to cry out to? Because biblical lament looks to God, it's built on God. Otherwise, you just have worldly complaint. And worldly complaint is meaningless and leads to nowhere. It has no hope. Without God, truth is always shifting, constantly being redefined. Everything is relative. And there is no anchor, no grounding in which we can have true biblical lament. So when we lament, we first cry out to God. The second thing that stands out to me is the the repetition of these questions. How long? How long? How long? How long? We see it four times. And when you see that, you begin to see a picture of someone who's been going through a situation for a while now. And not only that, they can see no end in sight. See, we can endure suffering for a little while. In short-term suffering, we, we can remember that God is sovereign, that he is for us, that he is with us that all things work together for our good and his glory. But the longer the suffering continues, the more difficult it is to remember these truths. The more we feel alone 
and the harder everything becomes. One author put it this way, it is not under the sharpest but the longest trials that we are in most danger of fainting. When Job was accosted with evil tidings in quick succession, he bore it with becoming fortitude. But when he could see no end to his trouble, he sunk under them. Do you ever feel like that? Like your trials have been going on for so long that there seems to be no end, and, and now you're starting to sink under them. I know some of you are saying, well, I don't have any trials like that. I don't have the ones that just keep going. And maybe you don't. Maybe you don't have chronic illness or pains. And, and I'm not trying to create something where nothing exists. But let's think outside the box just for a moment. What about a wayward or rebellious child? The home was once so peaceful, but now you can't even get a moment's rest. What about in your marriage? There's always tension. You can't ever solve the issues that are going on. Maybe they're getting worse. Maybe, maybe you've been asking God for so long for a child just to hold, to have, and those cries have gone unanswered. Or maybe you're singled and, and you've longed and, and prayed for the care and companion of a spouse that has gone unfulfilled. Maybe there's an unsaved loved one that you've been praying for for years, and yet there is no progress that you see. Or a bedridden family member that you have to take care of day and night. Or an impossible work situation where you, you, you can't get out of this job that you want or you barely make enough money to make ends meet. Maybe it's your spiritual life. You've been in the desert for oh so long and you keep crying out to God and yet you're still there in the desert. How long, oh Lord, how long? Let's look at each of these four questions on how long, break them down. The first one, how long, oh Lord, will you forget me forever? What's going on here? What's David asking? He says that he feels abandoned, forgotten, that God has forgotten him. If we took time to look at Psalm 12, we'd see that there David says that he's been abandoned by everybody, that he's the only one faithful. And while they're not tied together, we come to Psalm 13, and we see forget that people abandoned him. He now feels like he's been abandoned by God himself. He really feels alone now. He asks a second question, how long will you hide your face from me? It's important to know that to, for God to shine his face onto somebody is to mean that he's given their pleasure and his favor and his care to them. So if he's hiding his face, not only are those things gone, but now he's putting his judgment upon them. That's exactly what I felt like when I cried out, oh, did I do something to anger you? Did I do something to cause this? David continues, how long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? It seems like David's just spiraling out of control here. He's lost control of his emotions. He's taken his own counsel now. Nobody else is helping out. He claims that God won't even help him. He says his sorrow is so overwhelming, it's consuming him all day long. And his fourth question, how long shall my enemy be exalted over me? We don't know the specifics of this psalm or what trial that David uh, was experiencing. Still, we know that David was no stranger to being pursued and having his enemies threaten to overtake him, to overdo him, to conquer him. But do we physically have that in our lives? Is somebody beating at our doors, threatening to overtake us, to, over, to, out, 
to overcome us? One thing is for sure. We all have a common enemy who that is his purpose, to destroy us, to overtake us, and that is Satan. He has no problem using our circumstances, our trials, our physical condition, or even mental state to try to lure us into spiritual distress or depression. And listen, Satan does not have the victory over us in Christ Jesus, but we cannot just brush him aside. He is a foe to consider during our trials. David's asking some very honest questions here, some bold, real questions here. And if David, a man after God's own heart, could be so bold with God, can we not as well? Let me ask you, have you in your suffering ever felt forgotten or abandoned by God? Do you ever feel alone, wondering if God hears you, hears your prayers? You feel like God's blessings are gone from you? There's nowhere to turn. No one understands. Your sorrow is just overtaking you. Then you cry out to God. Cry out to God with honest words and let him know your grief and your suffering. There's also a danger here. Some are prone to stay right here in this first room, crying out to God, making their complaints endlessly known to him, and they don't move into the second room. And if we get stuck here in this first room, then we're not biblically lamenting. We've got to move to the next room. And this is, this is where a turning point comes in our lament. And this is the place where after we cry out to God, we now pray to God. Verses 3 and 4. Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light in my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice, because I am shaken. As David begins to pray here, we're going to see that for the most part, his prayers in verses 3 and 4 are going to line up with his complaints from verses 1 and 2. I'm not implying that the Bible is saying that it's the only way that we can lament, but it sure is a good place to start, isn't it? Where you take the things that you have voiced to God in complaints, and now you begin to pray on those things specifically. Let's look at David's example. Verse 3, consider. The word consider is a primitive root here. It, it means, listen, to look intently at. To, to, to regard with, with pleasure and favor and care. So remember in verse 1, we said, will you, how long will you forget me? How long will you hide your face from me? Remember that how long is, is hiding your face is keeping your, your, your favor and your pleasure from me. And now he counters that with, consider me, God. Look at me with your pleasure and favor once more. Let your face shine upon me. Let me know that you're here in the suffering. Look at me. And he continues, and answer me, O Lord, my God. Again in verse 2, David said that he had to take counsel of his own soul, that he hears nothing from God. So now he asks God, speak to me, Lord. Let me no longer be in silence. He continues, light at my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. This phrase, light at my eyes, is not, he's not asking for wisdom and insight. He's actually asking God to give him life to sustain him. In other words, he, he, if God does not sustain him, he says he will sleep the sleep of death. It is all too much for David. It's a little saying that we use as Christians. And if you said it before, I, I, when I say this next thing, I'm not putting condemnation on you, judgment on you. It's, I've said it, most of us have. But when you, when you grow in your, your faith, when you grow in your understanding of scriptures, you start to see some things that we say are not actually, actually not even in the Bible. Or if they are, they're usually 
taken out of context. The saying that I'm talking about is this one. God does not give us more than we can handle. No doubt you've heard this. You may have said it. But did you know that in the context that it's used, it is usually not biblical? Well, let me tell you where I believe we get this from. It's 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. In this verse, he's actually talking about temptation and sin, that that God would not let us be tempted beyond what we can bear. He's not speaking of trials and tribulations, though. Uh, Listen to what Paul says on the matter of suffering. He says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But... That was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Might I propose to us, brothers and sisters, that life is filled with things that are too much for us. Anyone married? Have children? I don't care if it's one child or ten children. Having children can be really overwhelming, can't it? Difficult boss or difficult neighbors? Loved ones that just, uh, health issues. I can keep going. And, and you may say, but I can handle these things. Let me ask you this question. Do you handle them sinlessly? Perfectly? If not, they are too much for you to handle. And that's a good thing. Because they are not too much for God. And, and, and when something is too much for us to handle, it makes us to rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. The same God who says to Paul in his affliction, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. We're not going to go in the whys of suffering today because that's not in this text. But there is something important for us to note here. That is that one of the purpose in suffering, one of the purposes in suffering is to make us more dependent on God. One of the purposes in suffering is to make us more dependent on God. So let me encourage you, brothers and sisters, let's put to death this thought and pride that we can handle everything and that we're doing well on our own. Instead, let's look to the one who can sustain us through every aspect of life. Let's admit it is too much for us and let's depend on the Lord. David knew it was too much for him. So here he starts depending on the Lord, asking God to sustain him. Verse 4 continues. He says, lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. Now you could argue that his trial here is someone trying to prevail over him, and, and it very well could be so. But I don't want us to miss something that I believe is a greater point. I believe that David has a concern for God's glory. And since he's a man of God, for his enemy to prevail over him would mean that it would taint that it would bring reproach upon God's glory. I see David saying here, God, act for the sake of your glory. Let no report, reproach come upon you. See, we have to be, we have to remember, we've got to be clear about something. Being healed or our trials being removed is not the only way that God gets glory. There are many times he gets the glory by the trial continuing. 
Let's think back to Paul. How many times did he ask God to heal him before God told him no, that his grace was sufficient? It was three times, right? And, and I'm not suggesting you can only pray three times to be healed. Okay? That's not what I'm saying. What I'm trying to point out is by God's grace, Paul came to understand that it brought God more glory for him to continue in suffering rather than to be healed of it. Guys, our ultimate goal is not to be healed on earth. Instead, we should be more concerned with God's glory. Our ultimate goal is not to be healed on earth in all things, in lamenting and suffering. In all things, we're to be more concerned with God's glory. I truly believe that's the heart of many of you that I've spoken with that have the long-term suffering going on in their lives right now. And I pray that God helps us as we endeavor to do so. So far, David has shown us that we are to cry out to God, that we are to pray to God. And now, in the final room, we are to trust God. We are to trust God. Verses 5 and 6. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. You notice we don't actually see the resolution of David's trial here, do we? But we do see a heart that is calming as he now starts to trust God in a circumstance. He says, I have trusted in your steadfast love. This is a past tense, a confidence. I have trusted. Each time Pastor David has spoken on lamenting in this series, he has told us that there's something that is important for us to do when we face sufferings and trials. That is, we are to remember. We're to remember who God is. We're to remember what God has done. And, and here, David in the Psalms is doing just that. He remembers God and God's love. He has seen it to be faithful over and over again. And in remembering God's love, he does something that's important for all of us to do. Like David, we are to look at our circumstances through the lens of God's love rather than judge God's love by our circumstances. We are to look at our circumstances through the lens of God's love rather than judge God's love based on what we're going through. It is with that perspective that David says, my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. It's interesting. He uses the same verb of rejoice here. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation as he does in verse 4. Lest my foes rejoice because I'm shaken. What's happened? He's taken his eyes off of the enemy, and he's now put him on God. He's now looking at his trials through the lens of Christ, through God. He knows, he remembers the salvation of the Lord. He has seen it time and time again. He trusts the God who saves. And so that causes him to say next, I will sing to the Lord. Again, David's trial is not even over, but in reflection of God's love and his trust in God's ability to save, he begins to sing before the resolution has even taken place. During the year that I could not sing, my wife and I, with one of our kiddos and, and with Ayo, who is leading worship today, we went to, of all conferences, a sing conference. And, and it's a conference that deals with congregational singing. It was wonderful. But while we were there, John Piper, he taught uh, uh, one of the main sessions. And he went through trials and tribulations and suffering. And he went through the Psalms looking at it. And here was the main point of his whole message. He said, sing through your suffering. 
And he said it with such conviction and such enthusiasm. Remember, I could physically not sing at the time. I wanted to stand up and yell from the back of the room, which I couldn't have done even if I really wanted to. Where, am I, where we were sitting, I, I want to sing, but I can't sing. That's part of my suffering. I can't even sing through my suffering. I learned so much that year about singing. I hadn't realized how much we express through singing that we really don't express in other ways. Think about it. Somebody can say something to you, and it could be a good statement. Marry it with a good melody. Put it into a good tune, and it carries a weight and emotion it did not previously carry. It's one reason why for kids, a lot of times we put scriptures to songs. I often joke with Pastor David that um, people on Sunday mornings will remember the songs that we sing long after they've forgotten the word that he just preached. <laughs> Why is that? Because there's something about singing that we remember that it connects with us emotionally. And don't worry, I get to experience that this week. You're going to forget what I say by the time you're gone as well. Not being able to sing made me understand and appreciate a deeper way the instruction in the Bible to sing. That we are to, to, to address one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with our hearts. That we are to teach and admonish one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and thankfulness in our hearts to God. Pastor David did a great job last week teaching on the biblical command to sing. So I'm not going to say much about it except that God's people are to be a singing people. It's clear throughout the scriptures. We are to sing in the good times. We are to sing in the bad times. His truths placed in our hearts and our minds through singing. So I encourage you as one of your shepherds, sing. Sing if you can in your suffering. Why? Because David tells us next. Because he has dealt bountifully with me. I have a question. How has God dealt bountifully with us? To answer that question, listen to another lament. Just the first line of Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Sound familiar? These are the words of Jesus as he hung on that cross. Jesus, our Savior, whom Isaiah called the man of sorrows, who was acquainted with grief. Jesus, who experienced the greatest and darkest sorrow unlike anyone ever else has, as he endured divine wrath being poured upon him. Jesus, who knew no sin, who became our sin, he took the full punishment for our sin. And it was there on the cross that Jesus was forsaken. Jesus was abandoned by the Father so that in him you and I for all eternity would never, ever experience being abandoned or forsaken by God, sealed forever in the blood of Christ. We're reminded of this in Hebrews 13, 5. He says, God will never leave you or forsake you. In the book of Romans, it tells us that in Christ, nothing can separate us from the love of God. No trial, no tribulation, no distress or persecution. Second Corinthians, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. 
in your trials, in your suffering, remember, call to mind that we are not and will never be abandoned by God, never forsaken by him. He is with us. He is for us, and he has dealt bountifully with us. Let me speak a brief moment to those of you here today who are not in Christ. Listen to me. The pain, the suffering you experience today, it will be nothing compared to the abandonment you will feel forever in hell, separated from God for all eternity. I encourage you, turn to God. Look to the cross. Look to Christ. Call on his name. Repent of your sins. Believe and be saved. Two final questions for us. First, what do I do to help my friend who is suffering? The first thing I'm going to say is plain and simple, listen to him. Listen to him. We can do so much harm with well-intended but equally misplaced words. Let me give you two examples of things not to say. Again, if these are things that you said, I'm not heaping condemnation on you, not, there's no judgment, but let's learn together how to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. The first thing that I encourage you not to say, that I tell you don't say to people, just have more faith. Let me tell you what. My trial, what I've gone through, has increased my faith so much that it would probably not have increased in such a way if I had not been going through this trial. My faith has increased that. And did Paul not have enough faith when he asked God three times to remove his thorn? Was God's response to him, you know, Paul, I'd love to, but your faith is kind of lacking right now. That's not what he did, did he? He said, no. Why? My grace is sufficient. His grace is enough. The second thing is this phrase, you don't deserve this. Again, I wouldn't trade my suffering. I, I'm not saying I enjoy it. I'm not saying I want more of it, but I would not trade it for what it has done in my life. And when people say that you don't deserve this, they're actually right. We deserve far, far worse. We deserve eternity separated from God for the punishment of our sin. But by the grace of God, he has dealt bountifully with us. He already took what we deserved. So my biggest encouragement to you, listen to him. Sit with them, weep with those who weep, pray for them, just be there for them. Second question I have, will my trial of suffering end or when will it end? That's the how long question, right? How long, O oh Lord? How long? Of course, the answer is yes, it will end. To what resolution? I don't know. Let me tell you the next chapter of our lives. Last fall, through a series of blood tests, I found out that there were two mycotoxins really high in my system. Microtoxins come from mold. So we tested the mold that we've been living in, and there was those two molds plus 20-something other molds in the house. So it appears that most of my health issues since I've, been, since I've been in California have been caused by mold. In November, we moved out of that home and have been living with my wife's relatives. So we've been living there for 10 months. And, and uh, imagine a family of 11 moving in with a family of three. And while they have a nice size home, there are smiths everywhere. We've had to trash almost every piece of our furniture, our lamps, our decorations, 
tons of books, our treasured possessions. And why, you may ask, because these things have been absorbing the mold with us. So whether the house is cleaned or you move to another home, you take those things with you, you're bringing the mold with you into that new home. So a family of 11, all we own now fits in a small storage unit. I still struggle with migraines. Um, most of the time they've dropped down to once every couple weeks. I will tell you this week, it was like a long migraine for the most part. Um, for the, I did go a year and a half and be able to speak and sing um, pretty well without much pain, but the last couple months, that's picked back up. So if you notice some Sundays when I'm up here, I'm not singing much. That's why. It's not because I don't want to sing. It's that I can't sing. But I'll be honest, this morning and even last night, I was getting concerned because my muscles started tightening up. I didn't know if I was even going to be able to preach. I didn't know how that was going to go over. Um, but God's depend on God, right? We're depending on God. And that's exactly what I'm doing, even as I speak to you now. My Tourette's, they're not as violent. Not as always noticeable, but they're still there. They still act up. I still have sleeping issues, still on a strict diet. And I am not saying that life isn't totally miserable since we lived here in California, okay? God has been, continues to be kind daily to us in so many ways. We know he's good. We know he's with us. He provides for us. He will provide all that we need. But there's still many days that we stop. And we still weep. And we say, how long? How long, oh Lord? When will it end? I don't know. Your trials, my trials, they may endure until our final breath. But for all of us who wait for our ultimate healing, that final end to all of our suffering. Be encouraged by this. Revelation 6, verses 9 through 10 says, When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. Now, these, are, these are the uh, um, martyrs, the ones killed for the sake of the gospel. And they cried out with a loud voice, O oh, sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on earth? Again, the saints killed, martyred for the sake of the gospel. They're asking God, how long before he avenges their blood? What's taking so long? Jesus answers in Revelation 22, verse 7. He says, behold, I am coming soon. Again in verse 12, behold, I am coming soon. And a third time in verse 20, surely I am coming soon soon. Our sovereign God gives his sovereign reply that they and we are to wait for his timing, his plan to be fulfilled. But when he returns, Revelation 21.4 tells us, he will wipe away every tear from our eyes and death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Oh, how we long for that day. But as we wait, we, we cry out to God. We pray to God. And we trust God. And repeat as often as needed. Let's pray. Our sovereign Lord, our struggles, our suffering, they are real. They're tiring. How do we grow exhausted? So we cry out to you knowing it is all too much for us. 
So thank you for chapters such as Psalm 13 and, and the many others that, that help give a voice to our grief and to our suffering. But even more, God, thank you that your grace is sufficient, that you are faithful, that you will sustain us through it all, and that one day all suffering and sorrows and pain will come to an end. Until that day, by the power of your spirit, help us to suffer well and to give you the glory. Help us to endure to the end with patience. But even so, come, Lord Jesus, come. We pray in the name of Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen.